And as we as disciples stand so far away in time and geography from the first disciples, it's easy for us to miss the challenge that they faced in recalibrating what they understood to be what the kingdom of God was really all about. As Jesus died and rose again and then ascended, um, some of their expectations became deeply challenged because they had a clear and well-established idea about what Messiah would mean for them. And Jesus appeared to be fulfilling many of those expectations, but then he deviated from them as well in very significant ways. And we're going to look at that this morning. Generally speaking, the Jews were looking for a political solution to their situation. Life was hard for Israel under the protectorate of Rome. Not only was Rome a brutal regime where uh, people were punished harshly, harshly for challenging the authority of the Caesar, but Jews understood that they had one true king and that was Yahweh. And to be under the oppressive rule of a profane regime was anathema to them. The Jews desperately wanted to kick the Romans out of their promised land. They wanted to be free, a free and sovereign nation, to stand with dignity as they had in the days of King David. And it's interesting to notice that when they ask Jesus about that, Jesus does not openly refute the disciples' assumptions here. Rather, he indicates the answers that they seek are just a little bit above their pay grade. Essentially, it is not for them to know those details. But this tells the disciples rather too little to change their view. Why could Jesus not simply have spelt out in more detail the specifics of the kingdom of which he was to be king? And here I think we have to accept that there are times when we are simply unable to understand or see certain things. I was talking with uh, Reverend Graham Long earlier this week as part of some continuing ed I was doing, and uh, Graham is easing towards retirement now. He's finished up as the main uh, pastor at Wayside. He's still got a role there and doing a few other things, but we were recounting our early ministry experiences together and um, how we threw ourselves into loads of activity when we were younger and we both agreed that we've come to learn that most of the important ministry that we do seems to happen in the gaps between the stuff we plan to do, in all sorts of momentary conversations and the person who gets in the way when we're rushing to our next important appointment. And Graham and I laughed about this knowingly because we both understood that you can't teach that stuff. It represents a shift in what a person understands to be most important and these things clarify as you go through life and have experience and that kind of thing. Certainly they can be modelled to a certain point but you simply uh, have to go through the process of life as it were to discover the true richness that is to be found and to understand what is most important. And Jesus did not waste his breath attempting to tell the disciples something that they had no hope yet of actually understanding. Because Jesus' kingdom is a significantly different kingdom to their expectations. If the disciples got answers to their questions, 
then they would simply make those details fit into the expectations that they already had and they would make those details mean things they did not mean. It's better for them to simply move forward trusting Jesus. And it's an amazing thing that Jesus really asks them to do. So don't worry about those things. Some other stuff's going to happen and it'll get clearer as you go along. That's pretty much the option he gave them. Just trust and you'll find out. And Jesus goes on to say that the disciples will receive power from on high. We're anticipating Pentecost next week, the celebration of the coming of the Spirit. And this is not a power that is the disciples' power or worldly power in any way. It's not the customary power that we know so well in our world. Power from on, on high is not power over, and it's not power to coerce or manipulate. The power from on high is the power of the Holy Spirit. And holy here, like it always means, is some, meaning something different a different spirit, a spirit that is not like the spirit of the world. This power will awaken the, the disciples to the fact that the kingdom of God is not like the empires of our world. They will come to see that their questions about the restoration of Israel are missing the point. Because how have nations traditionally taken territory, do you think? When a nation is expanding, it's usually done by force. Uh, whether you consider what the Chinese are doing in building islands in the South China Sea, which are becoming naval bases, or how the US funds various rebel groups around the world when they want to destabilise a particular government or that kind of thing, we use strategy and resources to attempt to gain power over others. But the kingdom of God does not take ground in that way. It is not with powerful armies going forth to overturn territory. It's not through killing and dominating others. It is simply by sharing the story of Jesus. The power of the kingdom is a drawing power. It draws others in. In fact, it cannot be entered by force at all. Because the nature of God's kingdom is an invitation that can only be responded to willingly. It can't be forced or coerced. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus declares this rather odd thing. He says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. That's in Matthew 11, verse 12. And this describes how people misunderstand the nature of Jesus and the kingdom. And we use worldly ways in an attempt to engage the whole, this holy kingdom and they just don't work. See, the power of the kingdom, the power on high that Jesus is referring to here, is the power that wins hearts. It is the power that doesn't overwhelm, it doesn't overpower, it empowers. It comes into us and shapes us and directs us, but never overrides us. It is gentle and respectful like Jesus. Yet this power from on high is the most powerful power in all of creation because it is the power of human desire liberated from self-interest. It is, I would put to you, unstoppable. As the disciples bear witness to Jesus, the story of Jesus 
will win the hearts of more and more people and the kingdom will go forth. Because Jesus was not looking for the restoration of Israel alone. Jesus was looking for the restoration of the whole of creation. Not simply one nation arising above all others and prevailing over all others, but a new humanity arising to take its appointed place in creation as appropriate representatives in the image of God, as responsible stewards over the earth, not rapacious exploiters, but tenders and managers that nurture the earth for the good of all. I believe that is what the return of Christ is all about. And so what do the disciples do? They, uh, they head off to the upper room again. And I love this brief word picture. It draws for us a very vivid portrait of the active waiting of the disciples. Um, they did not simply go, oh, not now? Okay, well, um, let's go home then. Or jump off into bed and have a, a bit of a snooze, wake me up when the power comes on high kind of situation. No, they devoted themselves to prayer. It was a very active waiting. It describes them as being all of one mind. And let me tell you, no group is all of one mind unless they are praying, I reckon. This was very active waiting. Like the waiting staff at a very fancy restaurant. I'm sure I've told you this story before of the days when my brother used to take us to nice restaurants and we'd have our own room and wait staff for the family uh, there. And they were, the wait staff would watch your every move. They were waiting on you, but they weren't passively waiting. They would see where you're up to in the meal, and they'd come and remove your plate when it was time. Or if your wine got to a certain level, they would top it up. They were keeping out their eye on everything and ready to respond to gestures. If somebody wanted something, they would see the look in the eye. You know, you look up and you're, you're looking for someone. That's when the wait staff come in. They would do whatever they could to ensure that we had what was needed for an enjoyable evening. That is waiting. It's highly attentive. And this was anticipatory waiting that the people were doing. They waited with one mind and they prayed in response to Christ's directive, as it says in Luke 24, 49. And behold, Jesus says to them, and behold, I'm sending you forth the promise of my Father to be upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And the disciples were anticipating being clothed with power, not of this world, so as to be sent out to do what must have seemed like an impossible task. It's impossible to imagine what it would have been like to be among that small group in that upper room, I reckon. Yet it is clear that they were people with a purpose. They were anticipating something beyond their imagining. And this is not easy to do, to anticipate something beyond what you can imagine. But it does happen sometimes when your expectations kind of outstrip your understanding. Um, this was my experience as uh, the quantum of anticipation of our trip to Taiwan last year kind of built and built. And I remember uh, I knew that meeting my daughter's birth mother there in Taiwan was going to be hugely important to the whole family and particularly to my daughter. But I had no real way of understanding before the fact how it would go for us precisely 
and what it would mean. So it was beyond my understanding and yet that anticipation propelled my preparations, conversations with my daughter and other members of the family. It focused our minds, you know, getting tickets and booking things and all that stuff. We were not uh, passive, we were very focused even though that anticipation was bigger than we could possibly understand. And please notice that this is a shared waiting too. The disciples go to the upper room and a group of them are named there and they, just, they don't just disappear to their own places and they could have, you know, they could have waited at home, especially those who had homes in Jerusalem. But as we know, there's something about being together, right? I remember when the COVID thing hit and it became apparent that we wouldn't be able to meet here and I was so grateful that uh, Ian and Leanne put together an emergency kind of uh, service and they, they shared the roles and you know, it, was, it was so lovely and a great gesture that held us together for that week. But how good was it when we worked out Zoom and suddenly you could see all the faces on the screen? I mean, I'm a bit of a sop, but I found that really moving just to be together again, to actually see people. And the reality is we need each other if we want to do our best. Left to ourselves, the deeper resources we have to offer one another will be left uncalled upon. And as a consequence, everybody misses out. We don't offer what we have to offer to others and they don't become all that they've been created to be either. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but engaging with one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. These disciples knew the importance of waiting together. You see... The hope of the ascension is that Christ will come again. In this process, the church, you and I, will be clothed with an unearthly power, the power that is not of this world, a power from on high, to bear witness to Christ, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. And that bearing witness will actually transform the whole world. It is the only thing that can transform the whole world. To win hearts so that we become more like Christ's heart. That we might give ourselves to and for one another, not taking the lives of others, but offering our lives to others. Christ will come again and his coming will be unmissable for the world will be transformed. Let us pray.